Happy Saturday, everyone. I want to let you know I'm going to be going live with Peter Sage at 12 noon Eastern. We'll be going live on LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube all at the same time. I've had Peter on the show before. He is one amazing person with an amazing mind. And what I really like about Peter is that he gets you thinking, asking uh, the right questions. So I'm going to bring him on today. He has some theories around what's happening with the coronavirus. I want to share them with you because he wants you to ask the right questions. He does not believe in the mainstream media, but um, certainly he makes a lot of sense. And I think it's worth certainly giving him a voice to share his perspective. So please tune in 12 noon Eastern today, LinkedIn, Facebook, or YouTube, the American Real Channels or my personal channel. Thanks and hope to see you there. What you're calling the virus may not be a virus. What's causing the lung failure, now we've got the normal influenza that goes on every single year, killing millions of people, many of which have been classified as COVID deaths. Hmm? We've got people who are healthy with no underlying conditions that are dying, but they're not dying of an influenza type virus, not according to the ER physicians that are treating them. They're dying of oxygen depletion, or they're showing all the signs of it. I don't agree that we've isolated the virus to determine if it's a virus, because we haven't. Guys, we're making assumptions here. We have not determined. There is no science. Go find it. Put it up. Have smart people stand behind it and put their reputation on the line, because everybody that has so far has said the opposite. Right? But are there people dying of a, a pretty nasty flu? Call it what that. Yes, there are. Just like there are millions of people that do that every single year. But what we may be looking at, and time will tell over the next few months, is the difference between people dying of normal, yeah, or even a, a, a nasty strain of influenza that are dying because they're immunocompromised with comorbid conditions. We're seeing people that are dying from normal things that have been false tested uh, or even assumed without testing and been told that they're a coronavirus and we're seeing healthy people die of essentially oxygen depletion if you listen to the ER physicians. So with those three, to make one assumption, say it's a virus, is just being premature in my view. Welcome to American Real. This is Roger Brooks. My guest today is Peter Sage. You are a glass ceiling destroyer for frustrated high performers, a six-time TEDx speaker, a number one best-selling author, and elite coach. Peter, it's your second time back. Welcome to the show. And fabulous to be back, Roger. Good to see you, my friend. You too. Thank you so much. We have a lot to talk about today, so we're going to get right into it, Peter. And our main focus is to talk about COVID-19. Hmm. Yeah, seems to be a, a subject on a lot of people's minds these days. What's your position, Peter? What 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 is what is happening with COVID nineteen? What are we experiencing? What is the world going through? Right, that that's a that's a very broad and open ended question there, and there, there are obviously many different layers to that. And what I, I will say is that my outcome for today is to be able to share what I believe to be a a slightly more emotionally and intelligently mature viewpoint rather than the incredible sense of fear-based rhetoric and noise that's currently going on globally right now. So yeah, as a result of that, 
um, you know, we have, uh, you know, where, where do you start? Oh, this is my, my viewpoint. Yeah, and again, I'm going to start this interview by saying that I have absolutely no right to impose my viewpoint on anybody else. My job, if anything, over the next short while that we're going to be discussing this, is to essentially try to empower people by giving them some tools and some guidelines with which to navigate this scenario a little bit more intelligently. And if I can do that, and at the end of this, you know, you can draw your own conclusions. And if they agree with me or if they don't, I'm not interested. Uh, if they continue to believe what you want to believe and you know, do what you want to do, I'm not interested. My job here is to essentially present some options on how to think that most people don't seem to be you know, aware uh, that they have. So does that sound fair? 100%. Okay. So... I'll start off then by saying my, my own personal view on this is that when the dust settles, as it's almost starting to, when the dust settles and this is autopsied and looked back on and dissected with calm level heads, it will without doubt be seen for what I believe it is, which is one of the greatest magnified and exaggerated uh, pieces of misinformation that has ever been bestowed upon the public. Yeah, and I, I don't say that because I'm a conspiracy theorist. I've got no interest. I say that because I'm going to invite you to ask some more intelligent questions. And when you ask those questions rather than buy into mainstream narrative, you can at least then judge for yourself rather than be towed along by the nose based upon what other people that don't have your highest agenda at stake want you to think. And for me, that just makes a lot more sense. Everybody's entitled to an opinion. But I'm not a dumb guy, yeah, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I'm not bashing people here. I just want to know the truth, yeah, or as close to it as I can get to make some practical sense. And if you see how most people are drawing conclusions right now, it is laughable. So let me start, if I may, Roger, by looking at essentially the two primary statistics that are driving this entire house of cards, I call it a house of cards because when you start asking questions, uh, the two primary support structures in that house of cards that are holding it up tend to get very wobbly. And this entire uh, drama, this entire fear-based pandemic rests solely on two statistics that nobody seems to be questioning and asking intelligent questions about, but do not stack up under any form of due diligence scientifically, medically, and common damn sense. And those two statistics are very simple. New cases, death rates. That's it. That's all everybody's looking at. That's what the media is quoting. That's what yeah, the official positions are yeah, sort of using to base policy on. That's what the modeling is actually being uh, done on in order to control lengths of lockdowns and, and ruin people's livelihoods and so-called prevent the spread of the virus. And it's those two figures. And everybody's swallowing them without even, and then going forward to make conclusions on them without saying, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. So I'd like to address those two in a way where I'm going to invite people watching this just to ask better questions. Because the first thing that you want to be mindful of is, you know, how, what is the agenda behind how I'm receiving the facts? You know, what is the agenda that's driving the information? 
Now, the vast majority of information that is being pumped out there is coming through mainstream media. Yeah, your typical Fox News, CNN, BBC, you know, state media, all of that stuff. Now, those media companies are not charities. They are commercial entities. Even the BBC, to an extent, is funded by taxpayers' money. And the heads of the BBC, if they don't manage to get the viewing statistics to compete in the very cutthroat and competitive marketplace of media, then the, the, the commissioner and chairman will be replaced for not doing a good job. So it operates on a similar principle that all of the commercial, fully commercial agendas um, uh, have in terms of your CNNs and Fox Newses, for example, uh, or your uh, you know, ITVs. So it can be summed up very simply. The primary agenda with which all information is passed through the eye of or the lens of is eyes on. That's it, because the media need your eyes on their channel as opposed to everybody else's channel in order to justify statistics for rate card. And they spend a huge amount of money to do that, uh, hiring very clever people on Madison Avenue historically, yeah, or even being paid off by government agencies to be able to give you the information that they want for an agenda. If anyone cares to look up Operation Mockingbird, that would definitely be something to uh, spend five minutes just to... Put your mind at rest that nothing is what it seems. But yeah, from the perspective of media eyes on, they need to have your attention. And as every psychologist, every advertiser knows, the fastest way to do that is by stimulating the amygdala, part of the brain that is designed as a survival response to filter out of all of the information, stuff that is fear-inducing. And I've just put a video out on this last week on why the mainstream media want you to be miserable. Uh, it's on my YouTube channel. It goes into the science, biology, and detail of that. It's, it's fascinating. Go have a look. Uh, what's even more funny is that I actually recorded that video a month before this crisis, but it rings true today more than any other time. However, back to the, the, the whole hot air that's inflating this bloom. Yeah, new cases, death rates. Let's look at new cases. How are they calculating the new cases? Would that be an intelligent question to ask? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you found out they were just pulling it out of their ass, then you wouldn't give it any credibility. Now, clearly they're not. But yeah, if they said, oh, they're, they're looking into a crystal ball or they're rolling a dice, I'm, I'm being somewhat exaggerated and facetious here. But the reality is, if the source of that information is not what you are being told or led to believe it is, then you can start saying, well, hang on a minute. The great wizard of Oz and this all powerful noise, my little dog just pulled a curtain back and I'm seeing a little guy there pushing levers. So I'll ask the question again. Does anybody know how they are calculating the figure of new cases? Now, one and a half million new cases globally, or you know, all of that kind of BS. And I call it BS, and I'm going to tell you why I call it BS. And if anyone wants to challenge me, if you're a scientist, uh, you know, a virologist, then please challenge me. Right? Because here's what we do know. And I only want to deal with facts here. You can make your own assumptions. The test that they use, and I put a webinar on this out three, three and a half weeks ago. The test that they use, the polymerase chain reaction test, which is what they're calling the COVID-19 test, standard PCR test, yeah, looking for uh, uh, what they believe to be the virus. They're not testing for the virus, guys. Yeah, Why the public don't know that, I have no idea. They're not testing for the virus. There is no test for the virus. What they're actually doing is they're taking swabs, 
anyone that's been tested, they'll take a swab and they'll run it through what's called a polymerase chain reaction, which essentially takes the RNA sample, sequence it, sequences it, amplifies it millions of times. Now, the problem with this test, apart from the fact that it doesn't isolate viruses, I'll say that again, it does not isolate viruses. It cannot tell you if you have a virus, which, by the way, and we'll get onto this in a second, is why on PubMed's own site right now, the false positives, false positives means you've gone in for a swab because you're not feeling well, they do a test. Oh my goodness, you've got COVID-19, you tested positive. The false positives, the, the amount of times that's just not true from their statistics, 80%, 80%, right? Just hold that thought for a second. So what are they testing for? They're taking the RNA, they're doing genetic sequencing, and they are magnifying a huge amount of noise that is inherent with that test. They're looking for a certain level of uh, substance that theoretically may, may be linked to COVID-19. The person who won the Nobel Prize for creating this test states himself very clearly. There it goes, Carrie Mullis. He's passed away recently, but he stated very clearly, it is a fundamentally flawed theory. So let's just take that for a second before we start running off on, oh my God, a thousand new cases today. What they've actually done is they've taken, a th um, let's say 10,000 people and tested them with this fundamentally flawed test that does not test for the virus that cannot test for the virus, but is actually looking for certain pieces of genetic material or proteins or antibodies that may be linked to COVID-19, but can also be linked to one of 500 standard coronaviruses that are out there. Hmm? Now, what will happen at that point is that we already know, according to the government's figures, 80% of the time that they say it's positive, it isn't positive. The 20% of the time that it is actually positive means it's actually found the, the, the stuff that theoretically yeah, may link to COVID-19. So they will take 100% of those figures and classify them under the heading new cases. And that is being very strategically done to put the conclusion in the mind of the public that a virus is spreading. That's it. That's that's the that's the that's can be the only conclusion that a member of the public would think a layman, non-doctor, non-virologist, non-scientist would think, oh, thousand new cases. It's spreading. Well, no, the thousand new cases should not be called thousand new cases, not scientifically, not under any level of stress testing, not under due diligence. It should be called one thousand people tested positive for something that we know 80% of the test itself, what's called positive, actually is negative. And the other 20%, we don't know if it's COVID-19. What it actually is, is a theoretical theory that is fundamentally flawed that may or may not show up uh, or link to that virus or several other viruses. Am I making sense here, Roger? You are, Peter. You are, Peter. We're getting a lot of questions coming in too, so we're just monitoring those, but, but please continue. Okay, so again, I don't, I'm not here to... to you know, burst anybody's bubble. I'm here to say, ask better questions. And for the media and the World Health Organization, 
to turn around and classify new cases based upon that study and have the authority to have the certainty that that's what the conclusion is and it's irrefutable and you can't question it is damn right misdirection. So, Peter, one of the questions coming in right now, which I think is relevant, is then what are people dying from? Would they have died anyway? What, what's happening? Great question. Uh, and I've got a lot more on that, but let's move on to death rates because that's the other statistic. Okay. Now, the death rates are being calculated. Again, what's a better question to ask? How, you know, what are they testing for? Great question to ask. How are the new cases being concluded to be able to be projected to the public? That's a great question to ask. Let's move on to death rates. Ask better questions. Questions are the steering wheel of the mind. And unless you've got both hands on your own, you're going to get pulled in whatever direction they want you to. So death rates are calculated initially by taking the sick people who they had tested and focusing on that as a microcosm and then extrapolating that as a death rate based upon a yeah, number of people tested positive. So in the early days where they were scaring the crap out of people with 5% mortality and you know, up to 7% mortality and 3% mortality, much deadlier than the flu, they were doing it by taking all of the people that had gone into hospital or were in hospital with symptoms, which was a micro sliver of the population that may or may not have been exposed to this nouveau type of influenza-based virus, and we're focusing on that as a fatality rate. That's like walking into an old people's home, doing an assessment on what the longevity is, how much longer you have left to live, and then using that and projecting it over a population. Or the average life expectancy of somebody in an old people's home in England is six years. Hey guys, guess what? Uh, breaking news, life expectancy of the human population, six years. I mean, it's, it's ludicrous just as it would be going into a school and doing a life expectancy of like kindergarten children and coming out with a figure of 80 odd years, you know, 75 years or whatever. And then saying, hey, great news, life expectancy of everybody is 75 years. You can't do that. Now what's happening, and I'll get on to the what people are dying on in a moment. Now what's happening is, and I predicted this three and a half weeks ago, that when the numbers don't add up, they will start to try to manipulate the death rates to support whatever agenda is driving this. I'm not going to go uh, on, on goose chases there, but this is now happening. Yeah, this is now open news. This is now being reported across news channels all across the world. And doctors are questioning the fact that, well, hang on a moment. I'm now being told that if a person comes in dying of a heart attack and they test positive, which we've already debunked, right? Could it means that it could have had any kind of coronavirus in the last God knows how long. And they die. That is a corona death. That, that's what's happening. And you've seen this now being debunked in hospitals and ER rooms and doctors coming forward saying, we've got official paperwork now that's telling us to break all medical protocols that we've been trained on to say that if a person in my judgment call may, I think, have had or been exposed to the COVID-19 virus, which symptoms are pretty similar to most other flus, then, and they die, because they just got hit by a bus and they bled out on the operating table, 
I put down on the death certificate COVID-19. What is going on? Peter, one of the questions coming in, when, when you say they, you said they are putting out these numbers. Who is they? People want well, to know who is they. Where are most people going to get the numbers? The, the media, the mainstream media. Yeah, and where are they, where is they sourcing the numbers from? you got the World Health Organization, the CDC. Yeah. Uh, but they're, what they're, about Johns Hopkins? I mean, they're, they're, they're supposed to be, you know, um, gathering the data. Um, they're just being fed the data from these other entities like the WHO. Okay, how are they assessing, correlating, filtering that data? What are their protocols? Ask them. Because if they're taking anyone who's been tested of COVID-19 and positive, and then that's used if they die of any other cause, bear in mind in Italy, Italy's just gone back on this. Italy initially was doing a similar kind of thing. They were saying, oh, my God, super high death rates of this virus because, you know, anyone that died that may have had it or tested positive for it under the test that is completely yeah, um, inaccurate, then it's COVID-19. And they were using that as the statistic, which scared every other country in the world as to what the mortality rate was. Italy's now gone back on that and said, oh, well, hang on a minute. We may have been a bit hasty. And I'm paraphrasing. But I'm passionate about this because so many people are being led down a path. And they are now revising their death rates. And it is much lower because they're saying, well, what we didn't do was really take into account those that were dying anyway. Now, you look at the flu season every single year kills millions of people, hospitalizes tens of millions of people, according to the CDC. That's just in the U.S. Right. So if. You take my grandmother, who died in the 1987 flu, pretty bad flu season in the UK. She was 93, and she had several cases. Now, a 93 elderly woman lived through both world wars. Her immune system wasn't as strong as yours or mine, and she was dealing with a lot of other stuff. On top of that, Influenza comes along and adds another straw to the camel's back, and she succumbs and dies of pneumonia. Now, on her death certificate, I can promise you one thing. They didn't write influenza. They wrote pneumonia because that's what she died of. The fact that her immune system was slightly more compromised because it couldn't bear the weight of the additional flu that you know, influenza virus that she had uh, is just part of, the, it's, it's part of what we deal with every year. Now, if you look at the death rates globally right now as to what they were last year, guess what impact this incredible global pandemic of virus is having? Zero. Oh, yeah, zero. Actually, slightly minus than zero. Wake up. Right. So, yeah, what are people dying of? There's two things. Actually, three things. Let me, let me put it this way, right? There's, there's, there's three things you could slice and dice. One is that people are dying of yeah, conditions that they had that they are no longer able to sustain either because they've got an extra virus on top or because they tested positive, even though there's no symptoms, or they might have been exposed to it if you read the, you know, the guidelines now. Uh, but they're now a corona death. And this is now being exposed every single day all over the world. Parents coming out, yeah, child that was yeah, into an accident, rushed into care and died. And the government attributes it to a COVID-19 death. And the parents are like, no, it's not. He didn't have COVID-19. He died because he had a serious accident. That's manipulation. 
to perpetuate an agenda that says we can scare the crap out of people if yeah, the numbers are high or we're going to look bad if everything we predicted and all the businesses we ruined and the lives we caused and the suicides we caused uh, because of all the fear right, isn't substantiated. So people are dying of comorbid conditions. And in Italy, that was exactly what they were. Uh, they've come back and said all of the deaths that they uh, looked at in Italy in that initial period, how many of them had comorbid conditions, including up to three? Ninety nine percent. So they've now revised their death rate, saying, well, we attributed 100 percent of the deaths to covid-19. We're now considering that out of the 100 deaths, we're revising it down by an order of magnitude by about to 12 percent. Wake right. up. That's that, that's just fact. This, again, this isn't Pete's idea here. Let's jump on with that. This is go do your research and listen to what's actually happening when people stop breathing the stupid gas and start taking a breath and being objective and asking questions. I'm not trying to belittle anybody here. Yeah, I'm just passionate about watching this drama unfold and how many lives it's ruining for what. Now, what else are people dying of? Because there are people on respirators. There are healthy people that have no underlying conditions and there are people that are going in and they're dying. Now, I wanna be very careful where I go with this, but if you have a look at a lot of the consensus that is now starting to come out and there is an excellent heartfelt YouTube video that went out by, uh, and I'll get the guy's name, so I don't want to put that, Dr. Kyle Sidel. And Dr. Kyle Sidel is an uh, ER emergency physician uh, in New York, and he was basically sent to lead a, uh, a COVID-19 emergency ward, expecting all of these people coming in with COVID-19. And he's got people on ventilators. And he was like, he came out last week and says, we need a new paradigm because this ain't what we think it is. What's happening is that the people on ventilators are normally put on ventilators because their lungs can't work. They don't have the, the muscle strength to actually operate their own lungs. So you put them on a ventilator. It takes the pressure off and actually does the job for them. That's what ventilators are for. Yeah, that's why you see babies put on ventilators when they're premature because their muscles haven't developed yeah, to be able to breathe. So what happens, he comes out and says, I take the oxygen off these people. Their lungs are fine. Their lung, there's nothing wrong with their lungs. But if I take the ventilator off that's forcing them oxygen, they turn blue. He said it is the classic symptoms of altitude sickness. He said, that's what I'm, I'm seeing. These people, it's like, and I'll quote, it's like they've been dropped off on the top of Mount Everest without having time to acclimatize. Hmm. I've climbed you know, some of the highest peaks. I know, I know what altitude sickness is like. I know the importance of acclimatizing. People, yeah, uh, any, any climber would know that. And it's quite random who it takes out. It doesn't matter how fit you are. In fact, when I climbed to the, the peak of Kilimanjaro, there were two Dutch Special Forces guys that were kind of tagging along. Neither of them made it. Both of them much fitter than I was. Strength, yeah, health, vitality, altitude sickness, as anybody in that industry will tell you, is fairly random. It affects people in different ways. Correct. Yeah. Ironically, smokers tend to be better off because they their bodies gets used to starving itself of oxygen. Right. That's not a, a, a suggestion for how to survive this, by the way. <laughs> right? But um, but people respond differently. Now, one of the and again, I want to be very careful because I we're getting in some strange territory here. And I, I want to say I've got zero affiliation or connection to any particular theory. 
But there is a substantive amount of science that does say that overexposure to certain radio frequencies does interfere with oxygen uptake into the cells. And that is currently now being concurrent uh, with the uh, observations of what's happening with people who are going in on ventilators and not coming out. They're suffering, they're, their organs are shutting down, not because of viral load. Their organs are shutting down because they don't get the oxygen. That's, that's again, that speaks to the physicians on the ground on what they're noticing. But if you're, if you're locked in a paradigm, it's very hard to get out. Uh, in fact, there was a great quote I'll share with you. I, I looked up today from Daniel um, uh, Boston. He said, the greatest obstacle to discovery, it's not ignorance, it's the illusion of knowledge. And if we think that we know what's going on, we're going to be blindsided to asking better questions to see if there's a potential you know, different alleyway. And, and when you're starting to fudge death rates specifically, uh, as we've seen, you've got to start asking better questions. Why? What, 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 why would you want to do that? Well, from the media, you can understand it. It's eyes on. But from the CDC and the World Health Organization, right? Yeah, they did the same thing back in the late 80s and 90s. Yeah, when HIV and AIDS first came out and they made the hypothesis that HIV leads to AIDS, yeah, doctor, uh, leads to AIDS, Dr. Robert Gallo put it forward, filed the patent for the AIDS test, which again, you can't test for HIV. You, you know, it's the same PCR stuff. But if you had, I think at that time it was up to six conditions and you died, one was pneumonia, and you didn't test for HIV, you died of pneumonia. If you died of pneumonia and you tested positive for HIV, you died of AIDS. Hmm. And so what happened was all of the numbers never panned out into this global pandemic. You remember those days. You know, you're probably a bit young then, Roger, but you probably remember. Absolutely. Yeah. None of the scary pandemic projected millions of deaths of AIDS ever took off. Right. And after virtually $100 billion in funding, they've still never proven that hypothesis. But... Here's what happened when the funding started to dry up and it, you know, people got desensitized, just like most of the public are desensitized to the flu season every year now. Then the funding dried up. So what happened? All of a sudden, a massive amount of new AIDS cases appeared. Quick, turn the taps on for the funding again. And you look behind the curtain and there's no new AIDS cases. What they did is they took the six diseases in HIV and they made it 12 diseases and 15 and 21. So all of a sudden, the... the, the the catchment area of how you define and classify the death rate is what's being moved, not the death rate itself. And that's what we're seeing here, in my opinion, with COVID-19. Does that make so sense? It does. And, and you know, it's, it, it's a whole new perspective for me. And, uh, you know, I've been watching a few things over the past couple of weeks. But, you know, I just want to throw a couple of questions out at you because I'm sure some of our listeners are thinking this, too. So, the media is telling us, OK, maybe it came from, you know, the wet markets in, in, in China, you know, that it came from an animal or, you know. So are you disputing that as well? Or, or does your hypothesis say that oh, I have I have any speculation around that? You're going to chase your tail. Why, why even give it energy? Who, in all fairness, from the public's perspective, who cares where it came from? Yeah. If you want to run down, it's a bioengineered weapon. It's a China conspiracy. It's, you know, people eating bats. It's whatever you. It doesn't make any difference to your particular current situation right now 
and spending and wasting energy on trying to chase your tail on stuff like that is, is really not going to get you anywhere. Not in my view. But back to the back to your point earlier, are you, are you saying that this is not a virus? I'm not saying it's not a virus. There's, yeah, do you know how many viruses live inside you right now? Any idea? Wild guess. A hundred. About four trillion. <laughs> you have four times more viruses in your body right now than you do cells. You operate as a symbiotic organism with, and about four times plus the amount of bacteria as well, by the way. You operate as a symbiotic organism. Now, here's one, one of the, the titles of the books that I think will be written after this, and I'm not claiming any copyright on this, is, uh, is going to be the Corona Nocebo. And let me explain what I mean by that. We've heard a lot over the last month about the power of the immune system. Yeah, the germ theory and the virus theory, it just doesn't stack up. Pasteur was... Yeah, that, that, that's been disproven for decades. Yeah, that's why you can have 100 people walk through a swamp. Everyone gets bitten with a malaria mosquito, but not everybody develops malaria. If the, if the germ causes disease theory was real, every single ER nurse right now would actually have it. Right? No. What causes uh, disease? Infection. Uh, you, you'll hear both sides of the fence on transmission theories. But let's put that aside. So I'm not a doctor. But here's what I do know. That... You have trillions of viruses in you right now. You have millions of cancer cells inside you right now, all operating perfectly harmlessly because you have a yeah, millions of years finely tuned, developed, evolved you know, army inside you called an immune system. We're aware of that. What compromises the immune system faster than anything else? Any guesses? Fear. Huh. Stress hormones, to be precise, which is why if you go into hospital and have an organ transplant, the first thing they give you is stress hormones to drop your immune system through the floor so your own immune system doesn't reject the organ that you have. Standard protocol. Now, there's a reason for that, and it's evolutionary genius, as you'd expect it to be. Your immune system contains an incredible army of uh, unbelievable proportions intelligence numbers from your typical T cells, NK cells, all, all of you know, white blood cells, lymphocytes. It's, it's, it's astounding what it does. Now, it manages all of those trillions of viruses and cancer cells. And there's a, there's a scientific term for them. All of those would-be invaders. Do you know what the term is? Has it a guess? No. Opportunistic organisms. <laughs> scientific reference for them. And they call them that because they're waiting for the opportunity to the, your immune soldiers not standing guard at the gate anymore. They can scale the wall and go invade the body. You know, there's a reason the flu season isn't in summer, right? When you're cold, your immunity drops, and therefore the opportunistic organisms can take hold. It's way more probable, that, and you see this on people that are run down or stressed, yeah? far more likely to be susceptible to flu, because what happens is this, and it's evolutionary's you know, genius way of dealing with it. Historically, if we had stress hormones in the body, it wasn't because our boss was shouting at us. It wasn't because we were figuring out how to pay the mortgage. It was because there was either a tiger in front of us or the marauding bandits from the next village were mounting a charge. And so it was an external threat 
as opposed to the mismanaged imagination, which causes majority of stress today. So your immune system takes up a huge amount of energy next to the brain that has first dibs on the glucose and takes a vast majority of the actual calories um, or yeah, energy and glucose that the body takes and the digestive system, which takes up a huge amount of energy, your immune system is pretty much up there. So if you face an external threat, your body immediately does two things that are very relevant to what's going on right now. You don't stress hormones into the body and that put, prepares you for the classic you know, fight or flight or freeze or what have you. Yeah, or hide kind of scenario. At that point, two things happen. The front part of the brain shuts down pretty much. The crowning achievement of human biology, the prefrontal cortex, yeah, frontal lobe, responsible for intelligent-based decisions, shuts down, which is why we've all said and done dumb stuff that we've later regretted or apologized for when we're angry or stressed or fearful. I think we'd all agree with that. <laughs> Hold up both hands for that one. So we make less intelligent decisions. And again, very intelligent way evolution sets it up. Because when you are facing a fight scenario, it is far better to work off reflex than critical thinking. Critical thinking is designed to take time. And if you're sitting there thinking, is that tiger balanced on its left hind leg or its right? Which way is it going to jump? Am I going to? No, your lunch, gone. Too late. Okay, so... It makes it reflect. That's why you see martial artists, and there's been classic cases of people that are, you know, practice martial arts for years, they get beaten to senseless in a street fight, or unfortunately, several documented cases of, of women karate champions that were abused or raped or mugged because they froze, because they've mastered the conscious competence, never made it unconsciously competent, where you're working off reflex. You're old enough to remember Top Gun. Yeah, the original with Tom Cruise. Sure. At the beginning with Kelly McGillis, where he was talking about flying the MiG inverted. And he said, what were you thinking? And he says, you don't understand. If you think, you're dead. Hmm. And Has to be instinct. Instinct. So evolution squeezes the blood out of the front part of the brain, puts it into the mid and rear, and you're working off reflex. The second thing it does is it moves all of the energy to the extremities, the muscles. It squeezes blood away from the organs and it tries to get energy because you want to be able to hit a maraudering bandit, not with a lung, right? Oh, hang on, let me punch you with my kidney. No, you need muscles or you need to run away. So it prepares you, high cortisol, high adrenaline, it prepares you for fight or flight with me so far, okay? So the next thing that it does, it says, where can I get energy from that is right now not needed? Good old immune system, repair system, digestive system, all of the high taxing parts of the body. So the theory is very sound. Yeah, If you're about to face a maraudering army and you need you know, most fights last less than half an hour or running away for less than half an hour and it pumps all of the energy, it draws it from the, uh, the immune system and puts it into the muscles, puts it into the ex dealing with an external threat. If you don't deal with the external threat, and there may not be anything of you left to deal with the internal threat. And the reason is because if you stand down your immune system for half an hour, no big deal. The viruses on that level of timeline don't have time to take a hold. You, know, you don't have a tumor suddenly spring up in four minutes. It, it evolves over time. So your immune system can stand down for 20 minutes, half an hour, go deal with the threat, uh, 
And then again, you see a, a deer after it's been chased and gets away within 15 minutes, heart rate's normal, vitals are normal. But if you are thinking fear-based thoughts, if you're dumping stress chemicals into your biochemistry consistently, like the media has been inducing nonstop, relentless for the last several weeks, people not sleeping, people panicking, people scared, people, right? Your immune system is on the floor, at which point any one of the, let's just call it the coronaviruses, there's 500 of them, any one of them, the normal standard flu season, yeah, influenza that pops around, any one of those can take hold. Now all of a sudden you sneeze. And of course, if we're worried about a virus and we sneeze, it's clearly the virus we're worried about. And we then go into a self-fulfilling prophecy because based on what the media have said with manipulating false death statistics and false new case statistics, as we've demonstrated, you will start to give yourself and program yourself with what's called a nocebo. Now, many people are familiar with the word placebo, and this is how powerful the placebo is. If you're a major pharmaceutical drug company and you've invested $100 million cheap these days into getting a new drug approved, or a billion dollars, and you've gone through everything, there is one test that you can't fake, that you fear, and that most of the drugs don't pass. It's the good old gold standard medical double-blind placebo-controlled studies. And a vast majority of drugs fall short. And it frustrates the crap out of the drug companies because basically, and this is for all of those Newtonian materialists out there that still think that that's a paradigm to stay with, what we're saying is your thoughts about a drug can actually change your biochemistry more than the actual drug itself. And by the way, that's in law because... If it doesn't happen that way, you don't get a license to sell it from the FDA. So we know that one of the leading antidepressants on the market in double-blind placebo-controlled studies, the gold standard, outperform the placebo by 2%. That's how it's got its license. In other words, Roger, you, I'm a physician and I'm respected and I've got a white coat and you come in and you've, I diagnose you for depression, which is essentially mismanaged imagination. Right, not taking anything away, but it's chronic thinking that leads to uh, uh, chemicals. Because every thought creates a neuropeptide chemical hormone that then becomes uh, uh, essentially dependent or easily recreated. That's why we have patterns of thought, and therefore you're now thinking about it absentmindedly. You can't get out of that, and we say we're depressed right? because initially something happened, and the outer world didn't fit the pictures of how I thought it should look like in the inner world. So I diagnose you for depression. And I turn around to you and I say, Roger, great news. There is this powerful new antidepressant just been released. The trials were off the charts. It's yeah, outperforming everything else we've ever seen. And it's, gonna, it's phenomenal. Uh, it's increasing serotonin. Uh, it's brilliant at being able to uh, inhibit all of the stress hormones. You're going to feel so fantastic on this. I have absolutely no doubt. The challenge is it's exceptionally powerful. You cannot take more than one at a time. So only one every four hours. So you, you're hearing me here. Yeah. Now, as a depressed person, this is everything you want to hear. It's called programming. And I give you this box of M&Ms that don't have the logo on or Skittles or Smarties or whatever. And I've got a 98% chance of getting exactly the same result based upon your thoughts about what you think it will do. And this is documented now way beyond repute. Again, it's in law. So that's the placebo. The nocebo 
is why it's illegal now in many countries to give somebody a terminal diagnosis timeline. When my mother had lung cancer and I went with her to the oncologist and they said in a kind of nonchalant way, oh, I'm very sorry, it's, it's actually inoperable, it's incurable, but you've got about six months. I could have throttled her. I mean, she was only doing a job. I get the paradigm she was coming from. Anyone want to hazard a guess as to how long it was before my mum died? Um, six months. Now, some people might say, well, that was just an accurate diagnosis. <sighs> Give me a break. There are so many documented cases now. And if you want a, a masterclass on this, go read You Are the Placebo by Joe Dispenza. Yeah, phenomenal book. Yeah. One of two books I would highly recommend you read in this crisis to empower yourself with. Right. But there are cases where somebody, you know, not feeling great, walks in, uh, chest pains, goes for an X-ray. Doctor calls them in. Stage four cancer. Yeah, I mean, that's a bad day in the office, right? Can't operate. Go home, make your affairs in order. You've got a few months. Guy deteriorates and dies. Family, it was, uh, was going to be an organ donor. So they're going to do an autopsy to find out which you know, organs are affected or not. No cancer. None. Family's like, well, what do you mean? They go back and check everything. He was given the wrong patient records. Now, you tell me that your mind is not as powerful to be able to create disease as it is to cure it. We know that. It's just it's irrefutable. There's not one credible person in medical science that will dispute the placebo or the nocebo effects. They, they can't. It's, it's, they'd, they'd be left out of court. Right? However, what's been happening over the last six weeks, for a start, you've vast majority of people have been severely immunocompromised based upon stress chemicals, just like going in for an operation for an organ transplant. At that point, some opportunistic organism takes hold. And guess what? We are now convinced that we've got a deadly killer virus and we start going into a tailspin. Nobody can tell me that that isn't playing some level of factor into the numbers we've been saying that is not being considered. I mean, is, is, am I on my common sense corner here or is someone going to dispute that? No, absolutely right. So if you speak to the doctors, what's actually going on? This is not a pandemic of a virus, according to many of the medical professionals that are coming forward now, and they're easy enough to find on YouTube. They're saying this is a pandemic of testing. Because we're also looking for something that we've never looked for before. Again, we've, we've coupled some algorithmic theory together as to what we think on the PCR test would link to COVID-19, yeah, hypothetically. And we're going looking for it in the general population. Never looked for this before. That's like walking into a wood, and I'm a bird watcher. And yeah, every day I walk in the wood and I'm looking for birds. And one day someone says, oh, can you help me look for mushrooms? Guess what? I'm seeing mushrooms everywhere. Same wood. Never saw them before. We're basically pointing the flashlight in a different direction and saying, oh, my God, it's a new case. Look what showed up. No, that is not what's happening. Let's, let me give you a parallel and see how ridiculous it is. Let's just say that we linked, uh, did it by blood groups. And we were looking for uh, O negative, which kind of phrase that sums this whole thing up, to be fair. And we, started, we did a, a test of 100,000 people. Oh, my goodness. O negative. We found it in, yep. 9,000 people. We're going to go on testing sections of the population for the next five years and still find this thing. Which most credible scientists are actually starting to say, well, actually, chances are it was already there. Am I making sense? 
You are. And I, you know, I just, I have so many questions and tons of questions are coming through the feed, but you know, what about the doctors at the top that are leading this charge? What are they, what are they thinking? Like Dr. Fauci, you know? Right. Everybody can only, and this is an important lesson for everybody. People can only ever project through their own you know, level of consciousness and their own agendas, their own history. We all come at life through different looking glasses. A, uh, to take away professions, for example, you know, we all, I'll give you a basic human example. We all see life or experience life in the outer world via one of the five physical senses. Yeah, any sense data that comes into our awareness has to be filtered through you know, taste, touch, sight, sound, smell. That's, you know, that, that's how we make sense of the physical data, through the senses, right? Now, if I was to ask how many people all like the same food, how many people all like the same color? How many people all like the same sense of smell? How many people all like the same music? You see, we, we're hearing the same information, but we're filtering it through our own senses in, and interpreting it in many different ways. And that's just, and then we argue over who's right, right? But when it comes to professional bias, yeah, the first people that they went and talked to were virologists, which makes sense. But what's a virologist gonna do? He spends his entire life modeling viruses. Of course, that's going to be the projection, right? Right. If, if, if you have cancer and you talk to a surgeon, he's going to want to cut. You talk to a radiologist, he's going to give you radiotherapy. If you want to if you talk to a chemo specialist, they're going to tell you why chemo is the best thing. Talk to a naturopath, they're going to give you a different you know, set of protocol. Everybody projects from the level they're at. Now, there's a couple of project, projected levels here we need to take into account. I've already covered the media. The media project through the lens of eyes on, first and foremost. If you think the media's primary filter is how do we serve the public and have your health over and above our ratings, you're in Disneyland Yeah, for the vast majority. Now, there are some exceptions with some really credible journalists who have high conscience and high integrity, but the vast majority of the commercial imperative that drives media channels is not how do we put the customer's best interests before our own. I think we can all agree on that. But then we go to the World Health Organization. What is their current lens they look through? They have yeah, 17 of their primary health mandates for the future of humanity. And out of 17, how many do you think are linked to vaccines? Out of the 17 of their publicly stated global agendas and outcomes, out of 17, how many have their basis in vaccines? Zero. 14 of them. <laughs> 14 out of seven. The World Health Organization has a very public, very open agenda to vaccinate the population. And again, I'm not I, I don't want to come at this as a vax anti-vax because, again, my my model of the world is irrelevant. I just want to you know, I, I just want to do what's you know, what's right by getting the best data. And I know that there's a massive difference between biased opinion versus qualified advice. And most people in this crisis specifically are not yeah, able to tell the difference because they can't see that many layers behind the onion. So, but the World Health Organization is projecting through the CDC. Do you, do you know the CDC owns patents on a lot of vaccine, te vaccine technology? Patents. Right? That's, you know, it's all there. Go check it out. Right? They've, <laughs> no comment. Now, yeah, my own personal view, you. Now, having done my own research, which I'd encourage everybody else to do, 
People say, well, what, what's your take on it? My take's irrelevant, right? But I can tell you this, right? For me personally, right? you, you put a bullet in my head before you put a needle in my arm. And that's, yeah, and that's me. And if everyone's pro, do whatever they want to do, I'm happy for them. Yeah, yeah. The, the interesting mental projection from most people that are exceptionally pro something, when somebody takes a stance against it, they hope that it ends up uh, in a negative outcome for the person with the opposing views so that it can justify why they're right about their own. So everybody just had the thought that hopefully I get the virus and don't, and don't survive. That's exactly what just went on. <laughs> right? The final lens that you want to be looking at this through is the political lens. That was my next, that was my next point. <laughs> yep. Governments right now, bear in mind, politicians are not masters of all trades. Yeah, they're masters of being a political yeah, yeah, champion or opponent or what have you. Yeah, they're, they're, they're politicians. So politicians obviously rely on advisors. Now, a politician, the lens that is filtered through most of the decisions they make as a politician is almost always, rare examples, but it's almost always filtered through a yeah, public opinion, re-election, political career, survival, what have you, yeah, kind of frame. So if a politician is faced with the advisor of the World Health Organization, which is telling them what it is, yeah, or statisticians out of the Royal College in London that's driving this entire madness in terms of the stats that it's giving the British Prime Minister because they're not asking the right questions, what I asked, I gave at the beginning of this thing, which is what are they testing for and how are they calculating the death rates, which is what they did the modeling on, which they're now revising. Right? So uh, they're having to take information from their advisors because when this blows over, they will have to stand there and say, well, I did the right thing based upon the information that I got. And that's okay, totally understandable. They don't want to be seen as a Johnny come lately. They don't want to be seen as a somebody that, gets attacked or leaves themselves open to a political suicide. Even though, as we know, the first rule of politics is that no matter what decision is ever made, loud voices against it will always be raised. And so we have to consider that aspect. But my, my overall point here, Roger, is this. There is, if, if you can empower yourself by asking better questions to draw your own conclusions rather than the ones that are being fed through lenses that don't support your best interests, that's going to make you far more empowered than it is just being towed along. Because if you've heard me say before, yeah, and you put up there, be the star of your own movie. Every single one of us is the star of our own movie. I know that because everybody's the only person that's in every single scene of their own movie. And as the star of your own movie, you, you kind of got a choice. You're either going to be an example or a warning. And to be an example essentially means to follow a path of trying to be the best version of myself that I can be, whatever that means to me, wherever it is on my journey. Ultimately, trying to choose more love over fear in ever more challenging circumstances. We had that conversation on our interview. Yes. One of the problems is that there is a big budget movie out there called The Corona Movie. And it is haplessly recruiting billions of unpaid, unwilling film extras into it which not only supports its narrative, 
but he's taking you away from being the star in the, uh, of your own. So let me give you a couple of different ways to hold this, if I may, because I, I've given people enough to uh, hopefully at least have them ask questions. You know, and the two biggest questions you just want to ask are, how are they calculating new cases? What are they testing for? And how are they calculating death rates? And when you peel back that onion, you can start to relax a little because the actual death rate percentage, when you do a lot of the modeling from some of the most sane people out there that aren't breathing the stupid gas because the front part of the brain shut down with fear chemicals, it's in the thousandths of a percentage and pretty much bang on to a normal flu season. And if that comes out in the wash, there is I, there is going to be a lot of lawsuits because you've got 30 year old family businesses now in the toilet. You've got 60 year old people having heart attacks because of the stress and they've just lost everything they worked their life for. All of this over if it turns out to be what the early signs are that it might be. I, there ain't, ain't going to be a, you know, a lot of people that survive that from a you know, political or media career perspective. But. Let's put that aside. Let's wrap this up in a, in a way that hopefully leaves people a little more empowered over and above just asking the right questions. Yeah, I'm a great believer that when you become the star of your own movie and you don't buy into the mainstream yeah, unpaid film extra in everybody else's movie, you can start to come from a higher perspective. You can start to come from a higher level of consciousness because at the end of the day, most people are worried here ultimately about death because they haven't been able to reconcile what it means. Most people still think death is the opposite of life rather than acknowledge the fact it's simply the opposite of birth. Uh, most people in this, yeah, this crisis, what's happened that's been, I, I believe, a, a blessing in so many ways is that a lot of people have reevaluated what's actually important. Is it important to actually worry and care for and check in on the people that I care about, especially my elderly relatives? Or is it I'm too busy to do that because I'm researching where I want to take my vacation? Yeah. Maybe one of the best things that comes out of this, because I think that you know, the universe is pretty smart. You know, whatever you label for it, I don't care. But there's an intelligence over and above our conscious intelligence because it. You, know, you, you don't have to set your alarm for 4 a.m. to remind yourself to beat your heart. There's something smarter than us that does that. So whatever you label, I don't care if it's the three-letter word that humanity historically kills each other over as to whose version is right. I don't care if you call it universe. I don't care if you're a scientist, you call it evolution. There's an intelligence there. Yeah. It's pretty smart. I've got to, you know, it may be that this was exactly what the planet needed to take a breath. Yeah, it may be six months from now, this was exactly what was needed to basically look back on yeah, the media, see how manipulative they were or are, and actually hold them to task moving forward on a better code of conduct that actually does place your agenda slightly higher than their commercial uh, agenda. Yeah, maybe that's something good that will come out of this. Maybe, and again, I'm not, yeah, I, I'm throwing things out to think about, but maybe there's a lot of people here that are no longer with us that would have suffered for the next 12 months in pain on a chemotherapy regime that would have taken down who right now are in a place where they're actually more thankful. Yeah, we don't know. Right? There are many things that come out of this. And I see a lot of people complaining about the lockdown. Guys, when you become the star of your own movie, your job is to make the best out of what you've got because this is an opportunity that we've never had before. And for many people that are freaking out, I wanna give you an invitation. In times of uncertainty, times of crisis, for a start, 
we've been reminded that there is no certainty. It was only an illusion anyway. There is no certainty in life. You heard me say before, you know, the tree doesn't stand there worrying if it's going to get blown down by a storm tomorrow. It just deals with what shows up. It doesn't stress about panicking about it. So if you understand that now, our role here is to, or we have an opportunity here to play a role as to be an example for so many people of to be calm under pressure. Parents right now, parents, you've got kids that are looking up to you as kids do. And you have a probably a once in a lifetime opportunity here to demonstrate to them how to be calm under pressure because they're going to face some pressure in their own way when they leave and you can't do anything. I'll share a quick story about a friend of mine called Marius, who, as we wrap this up, and then I'll take whatever questions you've got. Marius, good friend, next business partner, calls me a few months ago. He says, I'm so stressed. I had a lump in my chest, 44-year-old man. Went to the doctors. They think it may be cancer. They took a biopsy. It's going to be two weeks before I get the results. I can't sleep. I'm freaking out. Yeah, you're the guy I call. What do I do? I'm like, what are you most afraid of? He says, dying. I says, well, that's kind of silly because one day that's going to happen. So if you ever like get worried about something that's inevitable, it's um, I, I get it. I says, but it's got to be more than that. What are you really afraid of? And he thought he says, I'm I'm actually afraid of you know leaving my two sons fatherless. And he's got two beautiful boys, yeah, nine and eleven. And I was like, I can understand that, but let me ask you a question. At some point, yeah. Are you going to leave them? Do you want to leave them at some point? In other words, yeah, do you want to go before them? Obviously. Every parent's wish their children outlive them. Obviously, we never get to choose when, and it's always too soon. But uh, but at some point, every parent wishes that their children outlive them. I said, so let's just say it's tomorrow, it's six months, it's 10 years, it's, a, it's 50 years. You know, you're doing well on your anti-aging pills, whatever. At some point, you're going to go... At that point, let's go five years past that point. Can you help your sons five years after you've gone, whenever that may be? No. Are your sons likely going to experience some level of challenge at some point after you've gone? Okay, let's pick, let's pick an example. Let's pick a, a traumatic divorce. It happens. And you're not around to basically help them. At that point, they're going to turn around because kids don't do what you tell them to do. If you smoke 20 a day and you tell your kids not to smoke, I've got news for you. You're going to be sharing cigarettes at some point. Right? At some point, those kids are going to face challenge. And at that moment, they're going to turn around and say, hey, do you remember that time where dad thought he had cancer? And for those two weeks, and he didn't know. And he was calm as a cucumber. Yeah, sons, don't worry. Can't, you know, don't stress about what you can't control. Yeah, I'm sure everything will be fine. Yeah, go get some sleep. And if it's not, we'll deal with it. Right? That's the example that you have the ability to leave right now. And for everybody watching this, if you're parents, if you're members of your community, there are people out there freaking out that can't sleep, that are compromising their own immune systems through repeated fear symptoms, that are looking for examples of leadership, looking for examples of calm under pressure, looking for examples of someone that says, I'm not starring in that movie. It's a pretty crappy movie. It's a freaking disaster movie. My movie's a freaking action adventure. My movie's a comedy. My movie's a, yeah. Get out of the soap opera, guys. And if you can have that level of, no, of course we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but we'll deal with it.
right? We'll put one foot in front of the other because the biggest muscle that you can build right now is the ability to handle uncertainty. And if you give that as a lesson to the people around you and all this is blown over, you'll be taking something with you far more valuable than an antibody. I can promise you that. Well said, Peter. Wow. You've really opened my eyes to a lot today, and I'm, I'm sure all of our listeners and watchers. A uh, few questions coming in. Do you know what percentage of flu strains are caused by coronaviruses each year? That's from no. uh, Victoria. No. No. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I know that there's over 500 yeah, coronaviruses out there, according to you know, what the media are telling us uh, or you know, what's on the, the uh, websites and or what doctors are quoting. And I know that every single year, various strains of influenza uh, kill millions of people and nobody bats an eyelid. And the numbers this year are no different from the numbers last year. You mentioned frequency earlier. What did you mean by that? Uh, radio frequency is what I think we're attuning to. Uh, yeah. I'm, I, again, I, I don't want to run down uh, what is yeah, very um, uh, controversial right now, if anyone's been following London Real. And, uh, and I fully support Brian in his stance on that, by the way, that people should have the right to discuss but um, uh, apparently, we're, we're being very discouraged to discuss whatever comes after 4G. Mm -hmm. However, and I don't have a theory either side. I have a position, and I'll share with you my position because I'm trying to stay in my common sense corner here. Yeah, don't worry. I would like to have my movies downloaded faster. Yeah, I'm I'm happy with that. Yeah, if, I'm, if my fridge is going to be connected to an Internet of Things and it tells me that it's going to be smarter and when I'm going to you know, need to order the, you know, the eggs or whatever, yeah, I'm, that's great. But I would like to have some more certainty about the implications of that on health. And right now, there are no serious long-term studies that have been done. And the only studies that have been done that say there's nothing to worry about were short-term fudged industry-sponsored studies. Hello. And there are, I wouldn't say dozens, there's over 150 scientists that have written to the UN saying, please put a stop. Not that it's dangerous. Please put a stop on this until we know for sure, because that's a coin you don't really want to flip. Why would you? Right. So give me the data so we can make a better decision. And what is interesting, I mean, you can go, you can, the, the information is out there. Yeah, you can go to, I mean, there's a, one of the best websites that, that puts some very interesting information out there from the government's perspective of members of parliament that have been asking questions that doesn't seem to make the media. Uh, ehtrust.org, yeah, environmental health, that stands for ehtrust.org. There's some great information on there, uh, scientific information. That's, that's all I care about. I don't want Auntie Ethel's anecdotal information even though that can sometimes be corroborative. Yeah, but yeah, let, let's look at what the science is here. But one thing I do know, coming back to the commercial agenda, there are several cellular companies, including Verizon, which is big over there, that wrote not to their customers two years ago, but they wrote to their shareholders to warn them that they would likely be seeing significant losses based upon defending lawsuits against the harmful effects of what shall not be named and or settlements. 
And the letters are there. Yeah, they've been presented to uh, uh, various uh, political leaders in the US. Yeah, it's, it's, it's public knowledge. Now, if they're doing that and their agenda is we just want to roll it out and see what happens because our commercial agenda is higher than caring about everybody's long-term health, that I've got a problem with. Again, there may be nothing to it. But anyone that says, oh, yeah, what comes after 4G is safe, you're all being stupid, is basically just ignorance because nobody actually knows because the long-term studies haven't been done. Anybody that says, oh, it's super dangerous because there is actually a lot of information to back that up, but the long-term studies haven't been done. So let's just take a breath, but at least have the conversation about, oh, hang on a minute, before we start irradiating school kids and people next to bus stops and these put these things every 100 or so meters, which is what yeah, millimeter and slight submillimeter waves actually require, wouldn't you want to know that, yeah, it's, that there's something there that yeah, is going to be okay? The insurance companies, by the way, have made it a massive, uninsurable, I think, for many cell phone companies now. You can't get insurance against it, which is why they said, listen, you better prepare for some uh, some losses in your dividends because, yeah, in, in, in many countries, pregnant women wear shielding for Wi-Fi at home, especially in, the, in Asia, yeah, places like Singapore and KL and Japan. They sell very specific shielding for, for pregnant women because they know that the, the studies they've done is just on the Wi-Fi in the home has a significant impact on the health of unborn babies. Where do we see that? We don't. Anyway, that's, that's, what, that's what I was going down the road of when it comes to yeah, yeah, 3 plus 2G. <laughs> right. Thank you. And, and we'll take one last question. Peter, thank you so much for your time. Uh, the virus is obviously very different and attacks the lungs differently. Do you agree it's different? than the flu in severity or? It comes down, and again, this is where we, we run down a, a paradigm of, you know, we think this is that, so therefore we don't, we don't look further, right? What you're calling the virus may not be a virus. What's causing the lung failure, now we've got the normal influenza that goes on every single year, killing millions of people, many of which have been classified as COVID deaths. We've got people who are healthy with no underlying conditions that are dying, but they're not dying of an influenza type virus, not according to the ER physicians that are treating them. They're dying of oxygen depletion or they're showing all the signs of it, which is why you know, your president was mentioning something and got slammed for it on certain treatments that seem to, if you talk to a lot of the actual physicians, actually be working for people. It's very similar to treating people from um, altitude sickness. Uh, so when you say, do you agree that the virus is different? I don't agree that we've isolated the virus to determine if it's a virus because we haven't. Guys, we're making assumptions here. We have not determined. There is no science. Go find it. Put it up. Have smart people stand behind it and put their reputation on the line because everybody that has so far has said the opposite. Yeah, if you go to the original... Um, hypothesis out of Wuhan, and you look at how they came up with the fact that it was a virus, that wouldn't stand up in any gold standard level of diagnosis. Neither would this virus hypothesis stand up to Cox postulates, the very gold standard of science that they use to you know, uh, make their statements and discoveries. It doesn't. 
Right. So are there viruses going? There's always viruses going around. Are there nasty strains of influenza? Could they have been manipulated? It's it's a it's an irrelevant conversation. Right? But are there people dying of a, a pretty nasty flu? Call it what that. Yes, there are. Just like there are millions of people that do that every single year. But what we may be looking at and time will tell over the next few months is the difference between people dying of normal yeah, or even a, a, a nasty strain of influenza that are dying because they're immunocompromised with comorbid conditions. We're seeing people that are dying from normal things that have been false tested uh, or even assumed without testing and been told that they're a coronavirus. And we're seeing healthy people die of essentially oxygen depletion if you listen to the ER physicians. So with those three, to make one assumption, say it's a virus, is just being premature in my view. Peter, do you think we'll get to the truth at some point? I know you mentioned earlier there's going to be some books written and you already have a hypothesis on the titles. Will we know the truth? There's too many smart people that cannot be sidelined for too long. And when I put my first video out on this before any of the Western world was in lockdown, uh, and it was, uh, it was coming up for about three and a half weeks ago, and it was when people were, there was a threat and people were starting to, you I remember that video, right? I did, yes. I got slated for that because I'm like, what is this hoo-ha? And I said, listen, let me give you a prediction. I said, my prediction is over the next 30 to 45 days, this thing will hit its stride in the amount of fear that the media can squeeze out of people. At which point the public can start asking questions and turning on the media, especially when the deaths attributed to this don't stack up to the level they want, which seems to be happening if you ask the right questions. Mm -hmm. I already said that historically, the way that populations have been controlled over time has always been through fear. And yet, when the numbers don't stack up like they didn't do with AIDS, HIV, Ebola, what have you, again, it could be there is a very convenient storyline being led to use COVID-19 as a scapegoat for some level of other yeah, shall not be named issue. I don't know, but I do know that there are enough smart people in the world that will not stand for forced vaccination. That I can tell you, right? If you were told you had you know, cancer right now, but you have to go for chemotherapy, you're not allowed to talk to a naturopath, you are not allowed to do alternative medicine, you are not allowed to have any say in how we choose to treat you. And by the way, we make a lot more money on the choice that we're actually giving you. Would you stand for that? No. No. And unfortunately, the way this is being socially engineered right now, it, it's almost and I, again, I, I give it I give the prediction right on that video. At some point when the pressure builds and the public are so like someone do something, some level of solution will be announced and they'll be running to their doctors with their sleeves rolled up. We're on something that's untested, unproven, no long term health effects, Yeah, usually laden with. Aluminum or mercury. Uh, and again, doing your history on that subject is something I don't want to kick everybody off on, but do your history. There's no credible science on that. Peter Sage, thank you so much for your time. This was invaluable this weekend. We all needed this and um, would love to have you back at some point soon. Our, our, our viewers loved it and um, keep being yourself and, and keep enlightening us. Likewise, Roger, thank you. And thank you so much, everybody, for taking your time, valuable time out of your day to you know, listen to this. 
Again, do your own research, please, but ask better questions. And if you can do that, you'll always retain yeah, your sense of autonomy rather than being hooked in as a film extra. Yeah, and again, you have you have so much. I'm, I'm going to leave you with one last thought because there's a lot of people struggling on lockdowns here as well. And I'll close off with this. And again, it's just a, a different empowering frame for people. My mother said before she died, when I was a kid, I was 12 years old, you know, at that age where you know you're intelligent enough more than adults, right? You know, you, you know way more than the adults at that age. You, you finally know that. And I wanted to stay up and watch a movie. And she said, no, you're up early tomorrow for school. You haven't done any homework, whatever. And I wanted to watch it. My friends were watching the movie. And I'm like, I can't wait until I'm 18 and you won't be able to tell me what to do. And one of those you know, mature 12-year-old kind of responses. And she turns and says, son, don't wish away your childhood. You only get one of them. Right? And I had a profound impact on me. Like, whoa, yeah. Right now, I don't have to worry about a mortgage. I, don't have to, I can go and ride my BMX you know, when I want. You know, I don't see adults doing that. I don't have to worry about all the stuff that mom and dad talk about with the taxes and stuff. What I'm going to leave you guys with is one thought. Right? A lot of people are locked down right now into homes and situations. Here in Tenerife, we've got the army on the street. We've, got, you know, we've been locked down for over, about a month now. Um, the island's a tourist island. It's, it's going to take a while to recover. There's people that have lost their livelihoods and everything, and people are suffering. But let me share this with you. Yeah. You only get, may only get one lockdown. Right? Don't wish it away. People that are spending more time with their families now than they have before. Yeah, and when all of this settles down and you're back to work and the craziness continues and picks up again, you may think, oh, you know something, I wish I could just sit down and pick up a book. Right? Like I, I did when I was stuck at home. I wish I could just, you know, not have to dive in the car and rush to a meeting. I wish we may only get one lockdown. Don't wish it away. Yeah, look at it from that perspective rather than resistance. And we all are hopefully come together as humanity here, caring more for each other and appreciating everything out of what we can rather than complaining about what we don't think we have. So well said, Peter. If people want to connect with you, I know you're all over the different platforms. What's the best way for them to connect? Uh, PeterSage.com. Um, I'm on there. We're just launching a new website next week, actually, on there. But yes, uh, my YouTube channel, I'm always trying to put out free content to help people look at things in different directions. Uh, in fact, there's a corona protection training I put up there three weeks ago, which uh, contains some of this information. Obviously, it's, it's evolved now since then because of the situation. But yeah, I'm, I'm easy to find and anything that I can do to help or you know, make you think on a slightly different way to empower you. That's what I'm here for. Fantastic. And you and I had an epic interview last year, a two-part interview. We'll also put that out for people so they could watch that if they missed it the first time around. Peter Sage, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Have a safe weekend and let's get back together soon. You too. Thank you, Roger. Take care, guys. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we can help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week.